Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode 149 of our Truth Tidbits. We trust that these are being a blessing to you and that you are reading through the scriptures each and every day as well. Today, I'd like to read in the book of Jude, and I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Jude, it only has the one chapter, so we're going to pick up in verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to stop here for today, and we're going to cover this in some fairly great detail today because it's extremely important, and it is extremely relevant to the days in which we live. We discussed verse 3 in detail in the last episode, and so today we're going to discuss in detail verse 4, which is the reason for verse 3. In other words, Jude has just told us in verse 3 why he had to write harsher and sterner words of instruction rather than the common salvation encouraging words he wanted to write originally. He explains why he was so troubled with what he was seeing that it caused him to have to write this powerful epistle. So why? Why? What is the reason? Verse 4 tells us, because of these certain men, certain people, he didn't name them, but there were specific individuals he was talking about, and he says that they crept in unnoticed In other words, they settled in alongside. They entered in secretly. They slipped in stealthily. I remember watching one of the wars several years ago when we we went to war. And I remember the stealth bomber and how it could come in and it was sort of unnoticed by radar. And it was able to be very effective because it was not caught on radar. So Jude is comparing what they're doing to a stealthily executed plan such as that. He says here that they were marked marked out for this condemnation long ago. In other words, what he's saying here is that they previously had decided, in other words, this is premeditated. They knew what they were doing. They had planned it. It was intentional and deliberate. 
And he says also that these are ungodly men. They are not like God. They don't care or desire to be like God. They actually prefer to be against God. They are not like him in character, in actions, or in their heart. They're not even caring about the same things that God cares about. They don't love what he loves. They don't hate what he hates. Their heart is not for him. Their heart is not after him. And Jude points out here that their actions and their teachings, what they crept in secretly to accomplish, is to turn the grace of our Lord, our God, into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's understand what he says their goal was. Their goal is to turn. That means to exchange, to transfer, to transfer something to a different type of purpose. It can mean to transpose two things, one of which is put in place of another. So they are trying to literally exchange the true grace of God for lewdness. Some translations may say licentiousness or lasciviousness. It means the same thing. It's talking about insolence, excess, shamelessness, and unbridled lust. In other words, just an unrestrained lust that we're going to follow our own appetites. We're going to live the way we want to live. We're going to do what we want to do. Forget this grace of God. We're going to exchange that. And the reason we know this is relevant today is because we live in a day where there are people, there are even churches that are teaching such and that are living in those ways. They don't care about walking in God's path. The people are not, their lives are not truly transformed. They're not living lives in obedience to the Lord because they've exchanged the grace of God, the true grace of God, for this unbridled lifestyle that we can just live any way we want to and still call it Christian and we're still okay because we are, quote unquote, saved. They are denying the Lord God, the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ in doing that. So let's see what this is saying to us, and then we want to understand the thing that they're exchanging the true grace for is what is described here, this unbridled lust, this shamelessness in lifestyle that you can just live and walk and, and act and talk and do whatever you want to, as long as you call yourself a Christian, as long as you've said a sinner's prayer, you know, it, it's teaching the wrong things. They have exchanged the grace of God. He says not only are they exchanging the grace of God into this unbridled, lustful lifestyle of just living any way you want to, but they've also denied the only Lord God. Now, that word for deny 
It can mean totally reject and renounce, but it can also mean to contradict, refuse, disregard, and act entirely unlike him, to not to accept him. So we know these are ungodly men. They're not truly born-again believers who have been made brand new by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit of God. And they are exchanging the true grace of God for this unbridled lifestyle of shamelessness. But they're also contradicting the truth. They're contradicting the only Lord God, the one and only, the one who has no other, the one who is alone, the sole Lord God. When it says Lord God, I believe this brings in and represents both the covenant relationship, which is in rest in reference to the word God. Our God is He's personal. He's in a covenant relationship with us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's not just talking about that. It's also his lordship, the lordship of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus himself said the Father and the Son are one. The question here is the true grace of God versus this that they are trying to pass off as grace, this hyper-grace, we might call it, this you can just say a sinner's prayer and then just keep on living any way you want to and call yourself a Christian and it's okay. No, it's not. They have exchanged, they are teaching you wrong. And what's happened is they're exchanging the grace of God for this evil, for this wrong, for this lie of this lewdness and ungodly lifestyle, denying his lordship. So Paul faced this exact same challenge, and we read about it in several of his writings. So I want to go to those now. I want to go to a few of those now. Paul dealt with this issue of grace and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the first place that I want us to read is in Ephesians And I want to read in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Beloved friend, God gives great grace. Grace is a beautiful, precious thing. And it is true, but we need to understand what it truly is biblically so that we don't fall for the lie and fall for the counterfeit. Grace is a beautiful thing, and it is greater than all of your sin combined and any individual sin you may think is above God's grace to forgive you. No, that's not true. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, if you highlight or underline in your Bible, that would be a good place to underline. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul also tells us in another place, he explains much more about this in Romans chapter 6. And I want to read verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. I want to stop right here for just a moment. In Romans chapter 1 through 5, Paul has dealt with the condition of the sinner who gets saved by grace through faith because he explains in Romans chapter 1 through 5 how we were all sinners, every single person. And yet, because of Jesus Christ and the work that he did, we who were once sinners through faith in Jesus Christ because of the grace of God are now justified by faith alone. We now have peace with God because we are justified. He has declared us righteous and has washed away our sins. And so Paul comes along now and he says, okay, so if we're saved by this wonderful, true grace, what does that mean in terms of our daily life? So he clearly addresses this question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. In other words, it's the strongest negative he could give. It's as if he says, absolutely no way, none at all, period. Absolutely, positively, 100%, no. How shall we, continuing on in the reading, how shall we who died to sin 
live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man or our old person was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. In other words, if someone has died and there's a casket there, you can parade all the alcohol you want and it won't mean anything to them, even if they were subject to alcoholism when they were alive. won't mean a thing because they're dead to it now. They are dead. It no longer touches them, no longer affects them. That's what he's saying here. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then he goes on and he talks about not letting sin reign, not obeying its lusts, its unbridled lust. No, that's not how we're to live. He goes on down and he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. That's another phrase that's misunderstood. So let's try to look at this passage in Romans chapter 6. He's telling us here we're dead to sin and we are alive to God. The old person, the person that we were, the person that used to live a sinful lifestyle is now dead. That person, you could say, it's like that person's been put in a casket. They're dead. They're gone. Done. Now you've been raised to new life for us to live in what Paul calls newness of life. It's the same thing he talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In other words, he's a brand new person. The old has passed away. The new has now come. The dead is made brand new. Not the same as before, but something that's fresh, 
something that's brand new. He says that we are now not under the law anymore, but we are under grace. Let's understand what he means, because some of those that are creeping in and teaching and exchanging the grace of God use this passage to say, well, we're not under the law, so we don't have to obey God anymore. We don't need to worry about keeping the things that, that please him and obeying you know, his commandments. No, we don't need to do that because we're under grace. So anything goes. No, that is not at all what this is teaching. It is not at all what Jesus taught in the Gospels, and it is not at all what any of the authors of the epistles have taught us and of the New Testament books either. What this means, let's look at it and see. To be under grace, it can and is often used to mean under in place of, including the understanding that that's an inferior position or it's below something else. But it also means through, through the agency of. It's also used to express influence, causation, and agency with the idea of associated motion. In other words, under subjection to or under the influence of. So Paul is saying you are not under the influence of or subjected to the law in its demands as it was, but rather you are under the influence with motion coming through the agency of and subject to grace to the influence of grace, which is the superior influence to your inferior. So what is this superior grace he's talking about? It's the same thing that Jesus spoke about when he talked about in the Gospels. And he said, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look on anyone to lust after them, because when you do, you've already committed the adultery in your heart. It's the same thing that when Jesus said, you have heard that, that it was said, don't murder, but I tell you, do not hate. Why? Because hatred is murder in the heart. Jesus is teaching us that the true spirit of the law is far greater, but in the New Testament, we have the grace of God because of faith in Jesus Christ. That is now the agency. That is the superior influence that we are now under. We are subject to the influence of the grace of of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's understand the true grace biblically. What does the Bible teach us is the grace of God. There are people today exchanging this for this licentiousness, so it's important 
because we've got to reject the counterfeit. We've got to re reject the wrong that they are saying about it. And in order to do that, we need to know what the true grace is. And the Bible defines it for us. We do not have to wonder. We do not have to guess. It is very clearly defined for us. And we are going to read that now. In Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. In Titus chapter 2, we see that the true grace of God is powerful. It brings salvation. It literally transforms a person, and they are no longer the same. It is now present. It is here. It has appeared. We are in the time when the grace of God has come and is evident. It is present, and it is also productive. It teaches us. It is a teaching grace that talks about training up a child, educating someone, causing them to learn. That's what this grace, the grace of God, the true grace of God does. So what does it teach? We're in school. As Christians, we're in school. We're all on this journey. It's teaching us day by day. Two things. What to deny and what to accept and live by. Teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The very same thing that Jude was talking about, these false teachers are trying to exchange for. They, they don't want the true grace of God because it's a teaching grace. It tells them, no, 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 you don't give in to that lust. You don't live any way you want to. You don't do those things. And that grace, because it is a teaching grace, they don't want to have anything to do with that. But I want to keep sinning. I just want to know that I'm okay. I'm saved. So I'm going to call myself a Christian, but I'm going to keep rejecting this grace of God, and I'm going to change it into something I like. I'm going to let it say instead that I can live any way I want to. No, no. We cannot accept that. That is not godly. It is not biblical. It is in error and wrong. It is truly wrong. The true grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And instead, rather to live soberly, in other words, wisely, wide awake, 
alert, cautiously, righteously doing what is right, living what is right and true, and godly, living in a manner that pleases the Lord, that is like Him, that represents Him well to the world and to others. When? Now, in this present age, from now until we are no longer here in this present age. That's what he means, teaching us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, from now on, as long as we're here. And all the while, looking, expecting, and waiting, and anticipating the blessed hope and glorious appearing of Jesus Christ that day when we will no longer be in this present age, that day when we will cross the finish line. Hallelujah. He says here in verse 14, we're waiting for Jesus, the one who gave himself for us. For what purpose? So that he, he redeemed us, he bought us out of the slave market, he gave us new life, and put us under the influence and through the agency of grace to now be able to live obediently and righteously. He has redeemed us from the lawless deeds, from those unbridled lusts, from the licentiousness. And he redeemed us from those to bring us to a place where he be we become, we become his own special people because of his purifying work. He brought us to himself so he could purify us, that we would be his own special people, eager to please him and eager to share him. True grace, my friend, is powerful. Submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is beautiful because he is Lord, period, but he is also a good Lord. Be careful to reject hyper-grace, all those false teachers that are exchanging the grace of God for this lawless lifestyle of licentiousness. Just live any way you want to. Keep on sinning. It's no problem. No, those are lies. They are lies from the pit of hell. You must reject those. Know the truth. Reject the counterfeit. And be Jesus' own special treasure. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of our Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name.